goodness gracious at the cheerings. Mucho cheerings. Jack, Children's Church is, oh. We have been in the Psalms for a while. We have today and next week we will end our Psalm series, uh, the eighth week next week on Psalm 150, which is the final Psalm of the Psalms. Good. And uh, so we're in Psalm 139 today. It is a pretty well-known Psalm. At least a couple of verses out of this Psalm are pretty well-known. Um, and so I'm looking forward to digging into this today together and uh, seeing what the Lord has for us. Uh, I want to tag our time together today as this. God made everything on purpose for a purpose, and you're part of everything. That's what I hope we get out of today. God made everything on purpose for a purpose, and you are part of everything. We're going to hit a couple of big, uh, a big, some big theology words today. Not too big, not, not too nerdy. I won't get too teachery on you today. I promise, but there's some big, some big words that this psalm explains as well as anywhere, anything in the scriptures. I think my game's a little hot, Wes. I, I'm getting weird feedback in my ear. I'm sorry. Um, so, if you get nothing out of else out of today, get this. God is worth worshiping just for who he is. For no other reason. He doesn't have to do anything for you. He doesn't have to to bless you. He doesn't have to give you good gifts. He doesn't have to do anything. He's worth worshiping just for who he is. And I pray that that truth is drilled down into our hearts deeper and more certain uh, maybe than it ever has been after today. So let's read through Psalm 139 together, and then we'll dig into several parts of this as we do that. Psalm 139, I'm reading from the NASB today, says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. What a thought. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me together in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. And my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that you 
that were ordained, that were ordained for me, excuse me, that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed, for they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Father, we come to you today, God, and we ask for fire from heaven. We ask for your Holy Spirit, not just to fill this place, God, but to fill us. You tell us that we are the temple of the Lord and that your Spirit resides within us at the moment of salvation, God. So we ask for a manifest presence of your spirit today we ask for your spirit to be so alive and so present and so real that we have no choice but to submit our hearts to you god either in in repentance and continued steadfastness for you god or for the first time in salvation admitting that we need you as a savior and that we're a sinner that we need the blood of jesus to cover our sins whatever the case may be god we ask that you would work today the way that only you can work god we pray all these things in the matchless, holy, and ever-lovely name. Jesus, the Savior, the King of all things, the King of all kings, Lord. Amen. All right. So three big theology terms we're going to get out of today as we dig through this. And uh, we'll finish up kind of where we started. Uh, and that's the hope. So if you look at those first few verses there, there's kind of three different, there's, there's four stanzas total. There's kind of three different stanzas that go together here, um, and, you, and, and it'll come out clearly as we go through this, the different things David is the psalm writer of this psalm is, is making the point of during this. But the first uh, few verses there, if you, if you look, just look at the ways God, um, at the actions that are, that, that are stated, the things that God does, the things that God uh, do, uh, knows about you. I've got them listed here in, in the way that the NASB translates them. Yours is going to be a little bit different, but it's going to be similar. Look, just read through those verses. Skim through them right here as we're, as we're looking. It says that he searches us and knows us. He understands us. He scrutinizes us. He's intimately acquainted with all our ways. Have you, have you thought about that recently, that God is intimately acquainted? He knows everything single thing about you and still wants you <laughs> i've only had one other person one person in my life that knew everything about me and still wanted to spend time around me the rest of you think you know me but you don't you you know a version of me you you you, you don't know everything about me and i don't know everything about you but god does and he still chooses to want you he still chooses he, he de overwhelmingly desires to call you his child. He wants you to know him, but not just know who he is. He wants you to know him as father. He knows it all. It says that he's enclosed us. 
He, some, some of yours may say imprisoned, or he's built walls around us. He's enclosed us. Why? For protection, <laughs> keeping you from things that you shouldn't be and keeping things that from, shouldn't be with you from you. He's enclosed you. He's laid on his hands. He's guiding us. This, this first stanza, it's, a, it's uh, a very simple way and a very detailed way to say that God is omniscient. He knows everything. That's what that word means. That's our first big theological word for today. God is omniscient. He knows all things. He is all-knowing is what that word means. He is all-knowing. There is not one thing that ever was or ever will be that, it, <coughs> excuse me, that he doesn't intimately know through and through, and that includes little old you. And that's an overwhelming thought to me. That's an overwhelming thought to think that that is true, to know, not just to think, to know that that is true, that God knows everything about everything because he created everything out of nothing, and he knows all things, everything about you from, from, from beginning to end, from top to bottom and around, and everything about you. He intimately knows you, the same God that can create all that we enjoy in this world and see and are overwhelmed with is the same God that, that knows you intimately. It's an overwhelming, absolutely hard to ponder, hard to grasp thought. And that's the exact reaction David has to that knowledge as well. He pins those first verses stating who God is, stating that God is the all-knowing king. He is the omniscient, only single one God of this universe. And he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. That's one thing that I love about the Psalms. It's one thing I love about connecting to a lot of things of old is that, is that it, it helps restore an awe for me. It gives, it gives flowery, in-depth, poetic language to remind me that God ain't just some dude living up in the sky. He's bigger than that. He's better than that. But at the same time, he's also desires to be intimately acquainted with you. It's, it's an overwhelming dichotomy that those two things are, 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 are true at the same time. This big, huge, unbelievable, we can't even make up enough words to describe this God as the same God who wants to know you, not, not as a, like you individually. He wants to know you and you to know him. He wants to be in relationship, as Josh just prayed. He wants to be in relationship. He doesn't want you to just do stuff for him. He doesn't want you to just talk about him. He wants you to know him. And David says, such, such knowledge, it's just, it's just too big for me to grasp. Eternity, it's too big for me to grasp. A being that can know all things, it's just it's too big for me to grasp. It's too high. I just, I just, can't, I just can't do it. It's overwhelming to know who you are, God, and to really deeply think about who you are and what you're doing. So he asked the inevitable question, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? It's a very natural, this is how you, this is how you know these, these, these psalms were written by a person. Because this is a very natural, logical place to go to. It's the progression of of what David lays out here is, is what we all feel sometimes. God's overwhelming nature 
His, over, or his overwhelming nature leads all sinful mankind to one single conclusion every single time. When, when you're faced with the overwhelming nature of God as a sinful being, it takes you to the same place every time. I got to escape. I can't be in this guy's presence. I, I, I can't do this. I must hide. I cannot stand in the presence of this being. He is too good. He is too big. He is too glorious. He is too much for me. If he were to pop up right here and show himself in all his glory, that would be our reaction. Adam sinned, and what did he do? Somebody said it. He hid. First reaction. Once sin entered, and he knew the knowledge of good and evil, he, he, God came, and he saw God, and he thought about what he had done, and he realized, i got to get out of here. I can't be in his presence. I just can't do it. Isaiah, the prophet from 2,700 years ago, says this in his scroll in chapter 6. says this, In the year that King Uzziah... It's almost like this is history. I know I keep saying stuff like that all the time, but you know this stuff is not fables. In the year that King Uzziah, you can find out when that was, died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. He goes on explaining it. Seraphim were standing above him. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices. Think about that. Think about how loud that is. He gets to see a glimpse into heaven. He gets to see God sitting on his throne. He sees angels that were designed to only proclaim his holiness from eternity past to eternity present. And they're saying it so loud and with so much gusto that the doorways shook at their voices and the temple was filled with smoke. And then Isaiah has a response. And many of you know what this response is. Some of you do. Many of us probably don't. I doubt you've cracked open Isaiah lately. Hopefully we've cracked open the word at all. But I doubt you've been in Isaiah lately. What's his response? Then I said, wow, this is amazing. This is unbelievable, God. I can't believe you're letting me see this. I'm so lucky to get to see this. Wow, you must think a lot of me, God. I'm special for you, to, for you to allow me to see this and to proclaim this to your people. This is unbelievable. What a privilege. Is that, does that sum it up pretty good? Where are my Sunday school teachers at? That's not what he says? Well, but I thought that would be awesome to get to see that. What does he say? Woe is me. I'm ruined. I'm undone. The word literally, literally means I must stay silent. He's rendered speechless by a tiny glimpse at the glory of the Lord. Absolutely speechless. Woe is me. I can't say a word. This is too much. It's too marvelous for me. I'm frozen speechless at the holiness altogether of the presence of the Lord. Or in Exodus 20, after Moses has come down and delivered the law to the people, 
What do they say? All the, peop- all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain surrounded by, spoke, by smoke. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance and said, You speak to us, Moses. You speak to us and we'll listen. But don't let God speak to us or we will surely die. Now, the good news is Moses says, that's not what God wants. And that's always his response. He gives a glimpse of his holiness. He gives a glimpse of his gloriness. And sinful man goes, I'm not, I can't. And what does he always say? We're filled with fear. And he says, do not fear. What a God. What a God. I, I believe those sentiments that are expressed throughout Israel's history is exactly what David is expressing here. I believe that's what's behind the, the poetic rhetorical question of verse 7. Lord, this is too wonderful for me. I can't sustain in your presence. But where do I go? Where can I go? Where can I flee? And then he, and then he gives some mirrorisms, right? Some extremes, here or there, which means anything in between is covered as well. He says, hey, heaven or Sheol, all the way up, all the way down, and anything in between. I, I can't go up or down and get away from you, God. He says, if I, the, the poetic language is so cool, if I rise like the, on the wings of an eagle like the dawn, right? if I come up out of the east, or if I settle in the uttermost parts of the sea, what's on the west of Israel? The Mediterranean Sea. What did it seem like to, the, to, to an ancient mind, to an ancient observer? That it was sea and sea and, and nothing else but sea. So it says to the uttermost of the sea. So in other words, if, if I go as far east as I can go or as far west as I can go, you're still there. I, I can't be in your presence, God. You're too holy. You're too good. You're too perfect. You're too amazing. You're too glorious. But, where, but what can I do about it? There's nothing I can do about it. No matter where I go, heaven to Sheol, east to west, no matter what, you're there. You're there. I could hide in the darkness, but there is no darkness around you. <laughs> it doesn't matter what I do, God. It's unbelievable. If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, no matter where I go, you're there. But even there, says there in verse 10, even there, your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. I can't get away from you. Not only can I not get away from you, but I can't get away from your leading. You, you want to guide me to where I'm supposed to go. Even though I run away from Nineveh, you swallow me up in a fish, spit me out on the shore. No matter what I do, God, no matter where I go, up or down, east or west, it doesn't matter. You are there. Your hand is on me. Whether that hand is there to test me and show my faith like Job or to bless me and give me a nation like Abraham. Sometimes that hand's on us. Sometimes old, sometimes old dad's hand lays on us and it ain't necessarily a good thing, right? <laughs> you may not know what I'm talking about, but I've had, that, I've had that shoulder grab before. Got that hand laid on me. Sometimes the hand laid on us is a good thing. Sometimes it's, it's, a, it's a scary thing. Because it doesn't matter. Whatever the reasoning is, God, you'll, you'll lay hold of me regardless because I can't go away anywhere to get away from you. So there's nowhere I can go to escape your overwhelming holiness to my sinful self. God, you are everywhere. The big term for that, many of you know, is omnipresent. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's all places. He's the only being 
that is omnipresent. Stop giving Satan credit and dues and power that he doesn't have. Satan's not all present. It's probably just your sinful flesh. It's probably just you. Stop saying Satan made me do it. No, he didn't. He didn't have to. He didn't have to convince you. You wanted to sin all on your own. It wasn't him. That was for free. I just, I just kind of came out of there in a minute. He's all present. He's everywhere. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. He's everywhere. He knows all things. And then David gives us this beautiful, beautiful set of verses, starting in verse 13. And this is the part of this psalm that you've probably heard. For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. Why am I pro-life? That's why. That's what I believe. I, I, I believe God designed life, designed every human being, that he has a plan for every human being, regardless of if it was brought forward in a good way, in a righteous way, or a sinful way. I believe every life has the right to live. That's why I'm pro-life. Now, I, I, I'm not anti-person who's had an abortion. You're a sinner just like me. You just happen to sin in a way that I haven't. If I was faced with your circumstances at your age, I may have came to the same conclusion. But I'd have been wrong, just like you were. He still forgives, but that's why I'm pro-life. Not because some politician tells me to be. Not because somebody with a certain letter beside their name wants me to vote for them. Half of them have had, had them. Half of them have paid for them. So their mistress could have it. So just keep that in mind as we set them on a pedestal as if they're God, they're not. That was all for free. That just came out. Huh. Beautiful. I'll get, and what's his response to this? I'll give thanks to you. Okay, all this he said so far. I only got one response to that. Praise. Thanks. It's the same word in Hebrew. I give thanks. I give praise. There's, there's no other response to this God. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We add the made in English to, to make it make sense to, to our English minds. The made's not there. In, in the Hebrew, it just says, I am fearfully wonderful. I think that sounds cool. I'm fearfully wonderful. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Job 10.11 says, You clothed me with skin and flesh and wove me together with bones and tendons. Kinder says it like this in his commentary. God not only sees the invisible, talking about the earlier part of the psalm, and penetrates the inaccessible, but is operative there. The author of every detail of my being. He, he can not only see what you can't see and go where you can't go, but he can do things there. Anything he wants there except for sin. Anything that is righteous, he can do it. He will do it. He has done it. What are we saying? I'm saying this. You're not here by mistake. You're not here by mistake. You, you were not an accident, at least not to God. You may have been a surprise, but you're not an accident. There is a difference. You're not a burden. You're not a burden to this world. You're not a burden to the, to the people of this world. You're not a burden to God. God wanted you here, or you wouldn't be here. It's just that simple. 
You know, the scientists, they, they, they study stuff and they can do all this mathematical stuff. You hear like Neil deGrasse, taught, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. You don't know that guy? Can't say his name, but I know who he is. Really smart guy. Really, really smart. So they can look at uh, the genetic sequencing, right? Our genetic code, our DNA. And there's only a certain amount of variations you can have with that DNA. Okay? And, and scientists estimate that there's been 100 billion people lived total in human history. Right? But the number of possibilities of different individual single genetic codes that can create individual human beings is way more than that. It's like it's astronomical. It's one of those times where you say 10 times the, to the whatever power. It's, it's, it's a number that we don't even have a word for. That, that's how many possible combinations there are of just our little simple genetic code. What does that mean? It means that just mathematically speaking, the amount of possibilities there are of human beings, mathematically speaking alone, and the amount that have been here, the fact that you are here is an absolute mathematical, it's impossible mathematically. The fact that your sequencing that made you exists and you exist. It's, it's mathematically impossible for you to live. But you do. You're here. God wanted you here. He, he aligned eternity past to the future with you in mind. It's overwhelming. It's too good for me. God, I can't attain to it. He, he knew you would be here during this time. When he first spoke everything into existence, he knew you would exist someday. And he knew exactly what day that was. When, when God brought space and time and matter together to exist together in what we call this universe, he did all of that, brought it out of nothing, knowing you would be here. It's an incredible thing. And then I love the way he says it there. And you know this deep in your soul. Every single one of us knows that. We look around, we see the world, we see each other, and we just go, there has to be a reason for all this. There has to be a reason for all this. We, just, we know that deep down in our hearts. Scripture says that, that, that God put eternity into our hearts. We just, we just, we just know that there has to be a meaning to all this. Otherwise, what, why? There, it, it, nothing else makes sense. You know there has to be a purpose to this. It doesn't make sense otherwise. Here's the thing. That's not the question. The question is not, is there purpose or is there not? We know there's purpose. We know there's meaning. The question is, are you living to bring fulfillment to that purpose? That's the question. It's not if you have a purpose. God didn't allow you to exist out of the trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions, and I could keep going for an hour, and trillions and trillions of combinations of G DNA that could have existed to bring someone together. He didn't allow you to exist out of all those possibilities for no reason. He allowed you to be here for a reason. You're alive for a reason. You have purpose for drawing 
breath. You do. The question is, are you doing that or not? Are you living to fulfill that reason or not? He continues with this same idea. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. I love that. You know, that word wrought, we don't say that very often. It's like, it's like regular just cast iron and wrought iron. Wrought iron is skillfully made iron, right? He, he skillfully wrought us in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in, in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Before I even drew breath, you knew I was going to live. And you had a plan for how long I was going to live and for what I needed to accomplish. You did that for a reason. God ordained your days. He knew you would exist. He had a plan for your existence. And it's bigger than partying and chasing the opposite sex. Your purpose is bigger than that. What a puny, puny thing. That's what the world tells you to do. Party. Chase the opposite sex. That's their whole message. That's it. That's terrible. That's pathetic. It's pathetic. That's the best thing Satan can come up with. But we fall for it over and over and over. I don't know what that makes us. Dumb, probably. It's bigger than that. It's bigger than pleasure. It's bigger than fame. It's bigger than fortune. It's bigger than that stuff. God wants you to know him. He wants you to know that you matter to him. He wants you to love him. And we love him best. Here it is. We love him best by serving our neighbor for God's name. The greatest among you shall be your servant. There is no higher purpose than living, excuse me, than loving by serving your fellow man for the kingdom of Jesus. Nothing is better than that. Nothing. I've tried most of it. Most of it stinks. The night of it's fun. The next day, it's infinitely worse than I, you ever thought it would be. That's what sin does. That's what it does. It overpromises and underdelivers every single time. Every single time. Now, all the people running around sinning, they're telling you it's awesome. They're telling you it's fun because they don't want to look in the mirror and say, you know what? My life sucks. My life is terrible. Sinning and living like this is miserable. The second that it gets quiet, the second that it gets still, and I try not to ever have quiet, and I try not to ever be still because the second that it does, I cannot hardly stand to draw breath. That's the way the sinner actually feels. He just doesn't ever say that to you because who wants to hear that? That wasn't in there. Hmm. You may have athletic talent. You may have musical talent. You may have the gift of humor or beauty or creativity or encouragement. But those things aren't the end. They're not the purpose. You don't have athletic talent so that you can score touchdowns or shoot baskets. You have any of that and all of that to serve your fellow man and bring glory to King Jesus. That's why you're drawing breath, and it's not going to get any better than that. And it's really good. It's really good. It's really good. You matter to God. God made everything on purpose for a purpose, and you're part of everything. God is omnipotent. That's our final word. He's omnipotent. 
He's all-powerful. He's, he's, he knows all things. He's all places. And he's all-powerful. Whatever he made you to do, he can make it happen. He's just waiting on you to willfully do it with him. That's the one thing. He gave us free will. If he made robots, then it's not real love. If we're not actually choosing him, then it's not real. He made us with free will. That's crazy, too, to think about that. That we can rebel against the God of the universe? You can. It's miserable. You can do it. He wants you to choose him. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should number them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Think about that for a second, church, and I'll finish up here pretty quick. The all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God who spoke everything into existence out of nothing, the omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent king of the universe has innumerable, incalculable thoughts to you. Not, not, just, a, not just a vast sum, because who can count the numbers of the, the sand on the sea, right? The sand on the beach. Not just a vast sum, but it says precious thoughts. Precious thoughts. Incalculable precious thoughts of good and righteousness to you, about you and to you. That same God that is capable of anything spends time thinking about you. You're a prize to him. You're valuable. You're, you're something to be esteemed. These are all things that that word precious means in the Hebrew. This, this same all-everything God considers each and every one of you as highly valuable. That's what that word means. You're highly valuable to the God of the universe. It's unbelievable. And then he goes into the part of the psalm that we can all identify with. People you don't like. I don't need to preach about that. We're good at that. We don't do it righteously, but we're good at not liking people that make us mad. And that's kind of the part that David goes through there in the next few verses. Really and truly, I'm, I'm joking, but really and truly what he is saying is, in light of your holiness, I don't want to have anything to do with anything that's not holy. So people that are blatantly against you, I don't want to associate with them. All the hates and all that, uttermost and hating and all that in those next few verses, that's what David is saying. God, keep me from evil. The same thing Jesus told us to pray. Deliver me from evil, Lord. I pray it almost every Sunday on the way here. Lord, keep our church from evil and keep evil away from us. Keep us from doing evil and keep evil from being associated with us, God. Keep it from us. And then he finishes there with a fairly authentic conclusion to this psalm. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my anxious thoughts. Try me, Lord. See if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. You remember how he started the psalm. What did he say at the beginning of it? God, you have searched me and known me. He states it there. He just says it. Lord, you've searched me and you've known me. Lord, you know it all. But now he's submitting to the searching. He was stating it as fact, but now he's asking it. He's requesting it. Because, excuse me, as one that is unholy, that's the only proper response to an all-everything God. 
who is the one and only God who is holy. The only response is, whatever you want, God. Whatever you want. Try me, prove me, test me, cleanse me, shape me, mold me, purify me, Lord. That's what David is saying. Purify me, God. Forgive me, God. I can, I'm, not, I'm not who I should be, God. I'm not doing what I should be doing, God. But lead me. God, if there's anything in me that's sinful, anything in me that is hurtful, that's literally the language of the Hebrew, anything that is hurtful, which is what sin is, we've said that over and over and over, it hurts you, it hurts you, it hurts God, but it hurts those that love you the most. It hurts those that love you way more than it hurts you. It hurts way more people than you can possibly imagine. That's what our sin does. It's not fun. It's not fulfilling. It's destructive. It's destructive to no end, and it just keeps going and going and going. And David is saying, God, if, if that, whatever that is in me, bring it, bring it to me. Bring it to my forefront of my mind so that I can lay it down to you, so that I can leave it to you, Lord, so that I can give it to you, so that you can cleanse me of it and forgive me of it, so I can repent of it and turn away from it because it's not doing me or anyone any good. God, lead me, Lord. Lead me to eternity with you forever. That's the response, the only response to this kind of God. A God that made everything on purpose, for a purpose, and you're part of everything. All is all. Everything is everything, and you're part of everything. I'll say it like this, and I'm done. Last slide. The all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful God, that God, the one and only God, Jesus, he made everything everything on purpose and for a purpose and you're part of everything so will you surrender to him will you will you surrender to this god will you serve him would you, would you love and forgive and be kind and compassionate to others for him not for them for him would you be generous for him how how could we not respond like that to this God I don't know sometimes we do but I don't know how I don't know how our, I don't know how our only response isn't whatever you want God I'm done I'm done doing it my way my way's terrible my way doesn't work my way hurts I'm done with my way whatever you want God the answer is yes just let me know what it is the answer is yes I wonder if the answer today or the question today for you is do you know Jesus as your Savior? Have you ever come to a point where you said, God, I'm a sinner, and I need you to save me? You recognize that the God of the universe died on a cross for you, shed his blood for you, took the wrath of God the Father for you, so you wouldn't have to experience that. Have you ever confessed that to the Lord, repented of your sin, and said, God, you, not me, you. He says that we should confess that to each other if that is true. So that's why we have an invitation every time. Every Sunday we have an invitation. Because sometimes you just need to pray as an already believing believer of Jesus. But we hope someone that has never made that proclamation comes up here and we get to say, this person is choosing Jesus as their king. They want to say, Jesus is the only way that can forgive me of my sin. And we want to celebrate that with you today. So you can come up during this song and we can handle that. Or you can come up and deal with anything you need to on your own. Because the word of God... That's what it does. It brings us to the point of a decision. God, thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Thank you that you love us 
beyond our comprehension. God, you are, you are all-knowing. You are everywhere. You are capable of all things good, God. And all you ask us in return is to trust you, to trust that you truly want what's good and best for us. Lord, put that in our hearts today, God. Someone here today, God, that is living in rebellion to you, they're living in rebellion to do, would you crush their heart for you right now, God? Would you rip open their heart and draw them back to you, drag them to you if you have to? God, would we be a church that, that is, loves each other in those moments and is kind and compassionate to each other in those moments? And, and when a sinner repents, as we all need to do on a regular basis, would we celebrate that together, God? We're not called to condemn. We're not called to judge. We're not called to see who's better than who. No, Lord, would you, would you make us a church that just celebrates when one lost son, prodigal as he may be, comes back to the Father? Would you make us a church that celebrates that, Lord, that desires that, that prays for that, that worships when we get to experience that, God? Lord, we praise you for all things this morning. All things good come from you. We praise you. In Jesus' matchless and holy name, amen. Let's just stand with us.